Hi everybody and welcome along to the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with corporate partners Solera Audatex, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and S&G Response as well as our partners Repairify, Indasa and Presco UK. Please do check out any of these businesses for your automotive claims, repair or supply chain needs. So welcome along everybody to the ARC360 podcast with me, your host, Mark Hadaway, where we catch up with some of the leading figures within the motor insurance claims sector. In this episode, we speak with Anthony Hughes, CEO of the Credit Hire Organization, the trade body representing the credit hire sector. Recorded back in early October, we caught up with Anthony, only appointed a few months earlier in August 2022, to find out his plans for the organization and what we can expect in the coming months. Anthony, who is no stranger to the sector, provides his thoughts on where the sector is currently at, the impacts the perfect storm is having on the sector, and how he envisages the future shaping up. He also divulges how professional development guru Dale Carnegie helped influence one of the key learnings of his career to date. Enjoy the chat. Thank you very much for joining us today, Anthony. Great to catch up, and uh, how is the world treating you? Yeah, I'm very well at the moment. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah, just um, obviously um, dealing with the delights of the... Uh, Um, some negotiations on behalf of the CHO. Yeah, absolutely. And that is what we are here today to discuss a little bit more in depth. So appointed chairman and chief executive of uh, the credit hire organisation, the CHO, at the beginning of August 2022. Hopefully I've got my facts right there. But um, how are you settling into the new role? Well, it's certainly been a baptism of fire. Um, uh, Peter, who had been sort of steeped in this industry, I mean, worked with a a CHO for for quite some years, was was in the middle of some reasonably um, high level and and, and technical work in relation to both trying to negotiate um, an immediate uplift to the GTA rates and also a big piece of work based upon data for what we might call um, a a revamped um, agreement. And he had a hard deadline in terms of, of, of um, going off to Australia. So it was a, literally a question of, you know, parachute in a, 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 as soon as you can and try and pick up the reins. So I've certainly relied upon some of my fellow board members and some of the other members of the TC to uh, to try and get me up to speed and, and support me as much as possible. It's been quite nice in a way going back to this. I mean, I, as, a, as a lawyer back in 92, when I started out, Credit hire was part of my bread and butter acting for the insurers. So I've, I've almost gone completely onto the other side of the fence but and it's fascinating to see that some of the old friction points shall we call them still exist I'm, 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 it's, it's a very different industry to the one that i was used to back then but it's uh, some of the same arguments are still being rehashed which is, is, is sort of amusing and maybe disappointing for some people so 30 years later and you're still picking up the same pieces that's an interesting Absolutely. Yeah, i had hair then it's uh, yeah. <laughs> Quite a different look. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I mean, in terms of kind of, I suppose, applying a little bit of uh, context to that, and we kind of will move on to that a little bit, you know, shortly. But we obviously had 2017, I think it was, the investigation into sort of the uh, the personal injury claims. Credit hire yeah. was part of that. Earlier this year, it was kind of announced part two that the government wasn't going to take any direct action within the credit hire industry yet. Plenty had been going on behind the scenes and the advice was to kind of continue with that good work. Is that sort of a, a fair summary, a, a real layman's terms way of putting it? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. And and I think it's possibly fair to say that there might have been a bit of, I don't know, reform fatigue. You know, there's only so much you can take at any one time. All these things have got to bed down. I mean, I, I was involved with the insurers 
back in in, in the day uh, back in was it 2008 9 i think um regarding the the, the original um portal for personal injury claims i was the president of foil at the time you know that was that was pushed through and, and took a little while to bed down and the iterations of that since then have taken a little while to to bed down and i think that the same applies to the the, the oic um, I think also that the fact that the GTA exists, you know, it might not be perfect, let's be honest, what, what is, but the fact that the GTA exists, I think, gives the MOJ a little bit of confidence that this isn't just a Wild West type scenario. Obviously, not every insurer and not every credit hire supplier is, is, is in the GTA, but I think it's fair to say that the majority of the very big ones are. So applying that sort of 80-20 rule, you, you've got the vast majority of the, of the industry working within an agreed framework um i think everybody accepts and we might come on to that 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 framework could probably be improved and made more fit for purpose for 2022 and and, and beyond but it, it, at least it's a framework and it, it it's not broken so um i don't think the moj decided that it was it was worth trying to fix it i think that the, the the government have got quite a lot of support for self-regulation and, and i think that the gta fits into that box yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, uh, as you say, we'll probably come on to more of the detail shortly, but um, just a little bit of context around it there. So, you know, the credit hire industry itself, um, for those who aren't fully immersed in it, know of it, but kind of, you know, don't truly understand the, the breadth of it. But credit hire industry, you know, how big is it and what contribution does it make to the insurance sector as a whole? You've obviously seen it from, as you say, both sides now. Yeah, well, as I say, I was around when it first started with with businesses like um, Three Arrows and and, and Swift, and, and and back in the day, sort of late eighties, early nineties, it was a, it was a very new concept. And as a, as the name um, suggests, you know, it's basically giving people mobility solutions on credit. So they, you know, they don't. It's not like me going to Avis when I hire a car and on holiday and or whatever it might be, and I, I pay for it. You know, basically, someone's had an accident, they, they're given a motor car, and they're not asked to pay for it at that at the point of sale they're asked to pay for it as part of their claims process um that was very much a b2c world back in the in, in the 90s and and now it's morphed into a a b2b world where 80 percent maybe even more of the the credit higher uh, instances are actually led by insurers or at an insurer's request because a policyholder has, has had a, a non-fault accident just to put some sort of numbers around that, uh, give or take 600,000 instances of, of, of credit hire uh, each year. So, you know, members of the public who who um, make use of that facility, generating maybe around a billion pounds of annual revenue in terms of the, the, the cost of that, which obviously is, is, it sounds like an enormous number. But just to put it into context, and I think this fits nicely with what you said before about the, the government regulation, putting that into context it adds around three pounds per insurance policy uh, motor insurance policy that is obviously in the marketplace i mean if, if you went and did a survey of people and said you know would you be willing to to, to have a three pound addition to your premium on the basis that really if you're um if you're in a non-fault accident you're likely to get a, a solution you don't need to pay for at the, at the point of view so i suspect most people would say that sounds pretty good value put it in into those contexts um, there's about 6,000 people work in the sector. Um, and that figure, by the way, the three pounds, that, that came out of the, the, the CMA uh, investigation back in 1415 and, and, and probably was very informative to the, the government's decision to, to allow self-regulation to continue without any kind of interference. And the, the GTA that we've talked about uh, or mentioned 
mentioned a few times already, that came into being um, in the early 2000s. So as I say, it possibly needs some modernization being 20 years old. But, it, you know, it's a, it's a very well-established framework that, um, uh, that, that is commonplace within the, within the industry now. Inevitably, whenever you take anything on credit, it's, it's more expensive. Because obviously someone's got to fund that, you know. There's, there's no such um, thing as a free lunch, as they say. But what the GTA has done is allowed people to enter into a framework where they're sort of working as trusted suppliers. They get paid quicker, so that cost of credit is reduced, and therefore the 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 um, the cost to the insurer, their indemnity spend, uh, comes down. And um, everybody gets a little bit more certainty because one of the biggest pressures in, in the credit hire industry um, has always been the working capital cycle, how long it takes for them to get paid. And obviously, one of the um, biggest things that insurers like to understand is what, what is their indemnity spend going to be? How long does the reserve need to be outstanding and how quickly can they close those cases down so they know the cost of claims? Certainty within the insurer industry is a, is a big issue. Removing the the, the frictional cost that that can go with disputed claims is is a, a massive benefit of having um, having this bilateral agreement that that exists between a, a number of the parties. So that that it's a very different world to the world that I entered in 1992. As I say, the, the, the biggest difference that occurs to me is that the insurers now are proactively promoting, for want of a better expression, the uh, the use of these these mobility solutions, which previously uh, previously there weren't, and there there were some pretty hard challenges back in the day. It's certainly an interesting sector, and and let's you know it's fair to say one that has matured uh, quite a lot substantially over the years. And as you say, I think there's there's an interesting sort of element to it now. There is as an industry grows up and evolves, and there's you know the GTA in place in this particular instance. Um, you know that in that in itself then continues to evolve, doesn't it? As uh, as things become more accepted and more reliable, I suppose. So, you know, the industry itself, well, like like everyone at the moment, everyone's got challenges. You know, it doesn't matter where you look. Uh, there's all sorts of kind of market forces at play across the globe right now, impacting businesses. What are the major challenges for for credit hire companies operating in this current environment? It's a good question, that because. It- some commentators would say, and I think it's difficult to argue with them, that there's what you could describe as a perfect storm around at the moment for um, a lot of people within the in the motor industry. Actually, not not just credit hire organisations, but particularly impacting on um, on the CHOs. The, the cost of of the supply of vehicles has significantly increased. Previously manufacturers would offer significant fleet discounts and um, those have all but disappeared i think there's a quite a restricted supply at the moment from from manufacturers who obviously are enjoying a, a, a bit of a boon in in terms of the supply and demand position but you know the there's huge delays in terms of repair periods because of the lack of availability of parts which is stretching out the higher periods which you, you might think oh well, that's that that's great because that means that each each hire um, is is more valuable, but you know once once you get beyond a certain point, actually, that that becomes a problem for everybody. It's costing the insurers more money, but also it means that you've got a backlog because you, you can't control when the accidents happen. So you've always got a queue of people waiting for these vehicles, and 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 the 
um, you know, the the utilization is 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 going off the scale. But it, you're not you're not giving the consumer what they really need. As as a result, it then becomes referred to it before as this perfect storm. You you get into this sort of downward spiral. So a lot of people are finding it really quite difficult, and a lot depends on the business models people have uh, adopted. But people's expectations, I think, consumers' expectations in terms of you know wanting nearly new vehicles as their replacement and and, and that kind of thing. You you just can't meet those demands when the supply has become so restricted and people just haven't got access to to, to those kind of vehicles. The majority of the German brands now have, have all but halted supply into the rental market. You know, they were they were significant players previously. There's a danger that the you know the East Asian manufacturers may may follow suit. So that that just gives you an impression of the challenges that are are out there. And you know the, the consumers seeing the same challenges with their attempts to, to buy vehicles. I mean the second hand market is is off the scale at the moment. So it's it's not just impacting on on us. There's some theory around it that there'll be very few new vehicles appearing in the sector until maybe 2023. Who knows? How long it'll take to get back to the the um, the norm? I mean, I'm concerned that manufacturers or the shift production models reflect known demands rather than the mass mass market. Which and, and the mass market is a big important point um, for all kinds of higher companies. You know, they they may want some prestige vehicles, but you know, in the in the main, they want the the, the routine vehicles that that people will hire, um, whether it's on a uh, from a CHO or whether it's from the um, uh, the basic hire. And if the the supply of those vehicles is restricted, then again, the price is going to go up. The waiting time to acquire vehicles is is very much extended at the moment in the region of six to eight months, and it can be as much as twelve months for uh, for commercial vehicles. So you know this this is a um, this is a dynamic that's impacting across the entire sector. It's not just um, one part. You know it, it, it's very very significant. And then you've got the leasing issues. Vehicle leases, short and longer, are rising steadily. And in some instances, it can be 40% more expensive than a few months ago. And, and that's almost a, um, an oxymoron, really, because if, if residuals are strong, you'd expect the leasing price to come down. But they're, they're not. And again, it's reflecting the, 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 the su- supply and demand. And as I said before, average repair cycles are being significantly impacted by both labour and part shortages. And this is a hangover from the COVID period, the Brexit impact. As a, a, that, the ingredients to this perfect storm I, I talked about before, in, you know, COVID, um, Brexit with people um, leaving the country, and then part shortages in terms of the chips and, and, and you know key key components. Ukraine, of course, the the, the war and that Ukraine was a big supplier into the into the motor manufacturer industry. So yeah, at, at the moment um, it's almost like um, where do you want me to stop in terms of the challenges? It's more significant than than it ever has been, I think. And it is incredible to think that, you know, how every different sector is being impacted with uh, with this, you know, speaking to the insurers, speaking to a lot of repairers, you kind of hear their side speaking to you, you then get the credit hire sort of perspective. And it just goes to show how the, all these things are so interlinked with one another that everyone is faced with their own challenges right now. A lot of unintended consequences, like like you say, you know, you, 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 there's a ripple or, or, or trickle down effect, um, as you say, from one thing happens in one area and then it impacts like a pack of cards all the way down. And inevitably it will flow through probably to, to ensure a pricing models for the, for the simple reason that, you know, they need to look at what it's likely to cost them in claims going forward and they'll, they'll price accordingly. And certainly my personal experience is that, you know, even for a middle-aged man with a good driving record, my, my insurance... Um, Uh, crept up rather than creeping down.
the supply chain crisis is huge for everyone at the moment. Do you do you see it easing? You spoke about 2023 there. I've been in conversation where you know people have sort of suggested 2024. How you know how long is that kind of period of uncertainty? Do you think? Well, you just used the word uncertainty, and I think that is the biggest problem. None of us really know, and um, I suppose you, you, you look at let's take Ukraine. It's out of our control. And the, the longer that that problem persists, the the, the further out you, you, you push the, the potential um, uh, solution, I suppose. Um, everyone's looking at forecasts and, and, and making comments about the, uh, the the future. But if, if you look at some of the results, I mean, someone like Sabre, who have you know have been a bit of a darling of the motor industry for, for quite a few years and, you know, their, their share price fell by 40 percent when it announced its results in the summer you've seen some of the other big boys direct line and admiral having sort of double digit um drops uh, then you, you you've had a statement from dlg's chief exec saying that you know month-to-month industry data suggested that used car prices hopefully have peaked that they, they've cancelled their their buyback uh, programs that they had in terms of the shares so you, you look at all those indicators and, and it suggests that the the market is expecting these problems to persist for some for some considerable time whether that's 23 or whether that creeps into 24 who knows but obviously everyone would prefer it to be um, to be over sooner rather than later if um, uh, if, if we could as i mentioned before the the insurers pricing their products and and, and taking into account all the various different um, aspects of the, uh, the the cost that they're likely to incur when they experience claims and uh, i think uh, going back to direct line they, they've launched a new pricing model and expect it to uh, expect their position to return to a sort of 95 percent combined ratio that shows that the, the losses that these guys have been impacted by after the, the covid period I mean, during during covid i'm, I'm assuming that they uh, they boosted their reserves because obviously vehicles were off the road but, but still insured but the uh, the underwriting losses this year, I think, will be will be significant. How significant? Um, we we've still got a few months to uh, to go, haven't we? It's it's a worry, I think, for uh, for everybody that's involved in this sector. Going back to your word before, uncertainty. That that's that's the the biggest challenge. We're all making our best guess. That's that's all that we can do at the moment. Claims inflation, uh, for various reasons that I've mentioned, has has been significant, and I don't think there'll be any any respite because of the macro what we might call headwinds, the war in Ukraine, the, the, the lack of stability in, the, in, the, in global trade, inflation, all, all those different things. I mean, the Bank of England are predicting, I think it's 13% maybe um, for inflation this, this year. So you put all those into the mix and, and we're in a very different position than we were back in 2018, 2019, when everything felt nice and stable. And, and, and then we all got sort of knocked, knocked off kilter by the, uh, by the by the COVID pandemic, and and just as we thought we were we were getting out the other side of that, we we then get t-boned by the, the likes of the Ukraine war. So I think it's going to take a, a a little while for us to to get back on the even keel. It's safe to say I don't think anyone's got the uh, the answer right now. So uh, we will uh, continue to sort of monitor, measure work our way through it i'm sure like uh, like everyone is at the moment so coming back to kind of the you know the the gta or certainly you know the agreements and developments that are taking place there what measures would you like to see insurers and and uh, credit hire companies take to update the gta i think it needs to be relevant to 
2022 and beyond. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, and we can apply hindsight to the GTA, I think, in terms of a revision of it and say, right, well, okay, we can see that these bits didn't work. What we what we really could do with is, is tweaking it here or tweaking it there. It, it's got to reflect the current market conditions. And I think there's a few different issues. Again, I'm coming at this with a, a relatively fresh pair of eyes. And I think that is hopefully quite, quite healthy because we there's a lot of people who are technically very invested in this and 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 there's a there's a there's a danger of a bit of a maybe a silo mentality i think what we've got to do is remind ourselves that the the purpose of the gta was to remove friction to make this a, a a much more simple trading proposition that can work commercially for everybody and, it, and that's, that's key. It's got to work commercially for everybody. Otherwise, it, it, you know, it's a voluntary agreement. You don't have to be in it. You know, there's insurers that are not in it. There's, there's CHOs that are not in it. So it's got to it's got to work for everybody. I think that that's really important. I think it would be very helpful if there was some form of independent decision-making mechanism around the, the rates that should be charged. Because you, you inevitably you've got these two diametrically opposed groups. One that are the the insurers that want to keep their indemnity spend as low as possible that's their job what you know that inevitably that's the stance they're going to take and the, and the chos who are saying well you know this is our cost base we need x y and z to to, to make a reasonable profit margin and, and this that and the other and obviously there's then the, the competition between the two groups you know internally we've got to make sure this there's nothing anti-competitive um, about this so i think we, we need a, a a few different ingredients um, to go into what I would call a refreshed and an, an updated agreement. Cooperation is a really key point, and, and I think a, dare I say, a broad brush commerciality rather than a, a fine detail sort of black letter lawyer type approach to, to, to what the current agreement is or or, 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 or whatever it may be. So something that some, something that takes a bit a big picture look at it and then trying to to, to, to repiece the jigsaw together. Um, the, the fact that it's got a, a principle of self-regulation, a proven model and supported by the government, I think is really important. Um, but but like all negotiations, there's, there's got to be give and take on both sides. Now, neither party can, can come to the table expecting to get everything that they want. And, and, it, and if we can have that mindset that, OK, these are our, 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 our real primary goals, but we can give or take on, on, on a few other things, I think that will be... Um, that'll be really important. I think a manageable decision-making framework is important where ultimately, if, if there is some kind of logjam, there is a, a, an independent arbiter available that can say, right, I've listened to everything that everybody said. You know what? This is the way that we're going to go. At, at the minute that that's absent, for example, there's, there is a position as a chairman of the technical committee of the GTA and, and that person doesn't exist. So you you do have this potential for uh, stalemate in, in in that area which I don't think is healthy um, so it, it would be very good in my mind to, to see a, a solution to that and then we've got some other other issues that, that need focus obviously when the GTA first came in the idea of an electric car was you know maybe a, a pipe dream and and you know now I drive one um, and so do many other people they're not part of the GTA at the moment so you know we need to find out we need a mechanism for for slotting new vehicles into this agreement because at the moment they all sit outside it. So you know there, there is the potential for, for for friction there. We also need a um, what I'd call a 
a, a data-based, some kind of almost automated review of the of, of the costs. For it to be healthy, there should be an annual review, just like an annual pay review. But we need someone who is not on either side or a body that's not on either side that can suck in data that is, you know, accurate market data and say, like, I've looked across the industry and this is what I think is a is a, a fair price for the uh, the members of the GTA to to adopt for the next 12 months. And that, that data has got to be of a significant size and it's also got to be up to date because we've we've discussed earlier on today the uh, the challenges in the in the macroeconomic position and and how quickly they've changed so you know it, it's got to be very much a um, a timely piece of work and an up-to-date data there's no point basing 2023's prices on on 2017 data you know that, that's certainly not how the insurers would work They're, they'll be looking at last year's claims experience and they'll be looking at what they expect next year and i think the the gta ought to have a uh, have a similar approach and i think i'd also like to see a, a healthy and a slick dispute resolution process to to avoid bottlenecks particularly around the consumer journey at, at the end of the day we, we've got to remember that purpose of of credit hire is to give people who through no fault of their own have been involved in a in a road accident um and need to get back on the road it's as simple as that. So it's it's about giving the consumer a good service that is um, that is fair, reliable, and and um, uh, commercially sensible. There's a lot of moving parts in there, that's for sure. <laughs> it sounds like you've got your work cut out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't expect it to be a five minute job. We've, <laughs> we we I'm pleased to say that we we've, we've managed to reach a position where we've now recommended to the members a an interim rate review. So that's gone to the wider group, uh, the, as in the, the entire membership, all the insurers, all the um, all the CHOs, and, and subject to that not being objected to, then that will be implemented. And then uh, the framework that we've put around it, I think, gives us some impetus to to move on with the with the wider piece of work that's ongoing around identifying where we'd like the GTA to go from a, a structure perspective, but also this this sort of data based annual review and there's a there's a big piece of work with a, an independent organization going on at the minute so it, it, there's a lot of incentive on all, all the parties to, to push ahead with that because it's, it's been going on for quite some time mm. well i think that's a really interesting piece of the jigsaw isn't it having this sort of live mechanism i it is regularly updated revisited reviewed etc so everyone knows that it is you know on point at any given moment in time and i think that's yeah absolutely that's right with all that said, you know, I sit back and, as I say, I take a, a, a sigh of relief and think, goodness me, that's a, that's a task that I certainly wouldn't want. You know, is there a reason why the government chose not to intervene, do you think, um, as part of its kind of, you know, the, the part two, the whiplash consultation? I mean, we discussed this at the beginning of our chat to some extent, and I think I referred to it as maybe reform fatigue. I think that the, the GTA in its current form provides an element of self-regulation that the government are happy with. They'd like to see that evolve. We, we constantly uh, update the MOJ about discussions around the GTA. They're aware that, that there is work going on to, to revise it and revitalise it and make it um, fit for the next 20 years, hopefully. I, th I think, as I, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the, the, the OIC needs to settle down. It's not yet perfectly formed. It, there, there are wrinkles that are being ironed out. So I think that they, they probably saw the getting involved in regulation of the uh, the credit hire industry may, may be a bridge too far. Um, and uh, they, they didn't want to get sort of reform indigestion at, the, at, at this particular time. 
makes absolute sense. And uh, yes, I mean, we've obviously covered the the OIC uh, on various occasions through webinars and at events and uh, continuing to monitor the story there and the, and the development that side. So uh, again, as you say, plenty going on in that uh, arena as well, I think it's fair to say. Overriding, we've kind of yep. heard that the piece of work that you've got, you know, right now, right here, right now. What's the bigger picture for, for, for Anthony Hughes as uh, chair and CEO of the credit hire organisation? What's the sort of aims and ambitions that you take with you? Well, at the moment, everything's been absorbed by trying to get this interim rate agreed. And, and so we've been very sort of blinkered around that. And I think we're also very, maybe blinkered is the right word about this as well, uh, around the, the work that this organisation, CIBA, are doing for us about collating the market data and, and, and restructuring things. Hopefully now, if we get the sign-off in relation to the next stage of that piece of work and we get the sign-off in relation to the interim rate review, we can start to maybe take a step back and, and, and do a bit of what you might call horizon scanning. There's been discussion around, you know, is, is, this, is the CHO a bit too narrow? I look around the boardroom table and everybody that sat around on, on the CHO board does much more than just credit hire. So... You know, do, do we need to broaden our outlook in terms of the, the sectors that we're all involved in to, to remain as relevant as we as we maybe could be? What, why are there people that provide credit hire vehicles amongst other suppliers that are not members of the CHO? I'd like to dig into that. I'd like to have a discussion with people about, well, you know, why, why don't you want to be part of the organisation or sit around the table? Um, and, and then maybe strategically consider... Do we broaden our remit? Maybe even change the the, the size of the organisation. Who knows? You know, um, I'm, uh, I, I don't want to throw any hand grenades around at this point, but you know, the, nothing's off the table as far as I'm I'm concerned. Because I've come into the organisation at such a time when there's so much going on, we've got to get some of the intray sorted, and and then take a step back, and hopefully we can do that maybe in in Q4 of 22 or the beginning of 23, where we can take a step back and say, you know what. Why don't we go in, in, in this direction? Or these are the different options. We did something similar, funnily enough, at FOIL, the Federation of Insurance Lawyers, when, when I was the president back in 07 or 08, and a, um, a colleague of mine at the time from BLM, Henry Birmingham, and I did the, the thing that we called the big conversation where we went around talking to all the major insurers, all the major insurance law firms, and, and asked them about um, FOIL and what they saw the organisation, good, bad, indifferent. And we made a few changes which, which revitalised it and, and, and people felt it was more relevant and, and, and added more value. And, you know, I think it, we brought in a CEO from this and, and he's still there now, which is... So that kind of approach, I think, would be interesting. But ultimately, we've got to remember the core values. Um, you know, at the moment, we, we are about supporting credit hire operators in their various quest to, to supply mobility solutions and, and, and supporting them with the challenges that they they have. I very much hope that we can get a new look GTA done, maybe in the next six to 12 months. You know, that, that isn't going to be a quick fix, but we've, we've made really good strides. We have started to engage with some of the senior members of the very, very big insurers to, um, that are members of the, of the GTA. They've been very positive that, that they agree that the agreement needs to be revitalized they they agree that it's a an important agreement self-regulation is as important to them as it is to the, the cho members i think finding that common ground 
is really important because you can build on that common ground. Let's not start with the areas where we disagree. Let's let's identify the areas, you know, the big picture stuff that where we do agree, and then we can start to fit in the other areas and you know identify the pinch points to see whether we can find those compromises that I mentioned before. You know, a bit of give and take on on on, on both sides. We, we also got to remember the the facet with the MOJ, so um, ensuring that the credit hire industry is represented both with external stakeholders, but also Westminster. So that line into the MOJ, making sure that they're up to date, that we're not just fobbing them off, we're not just keeping them in the dark, you know, having that regular engagement, understanding any concerns they may have, trying to deal with those concerns. Those are the headline uh, factors in, in, in terms of where, where we go in the short term. I, I come back to, um, to what I, I said before, ultimately the, the, the CHO is an organisation the overarching objective is to act in the best interest of the CHO members and their best interest is to is to provide provide a service to the consumers so you know ultimately that 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 consumer who is a, also a consumer of motor insurance policies um is, is as important to us as, as, as they are to the, the the admirals the direct lines the avivas and the exes of this world um so uh, i think i think the next the next three to six months will be very, very important around getting some impetus in terms of the reform of our own position. Yeah. And then we can start uh, alongside that to look at the uh, to look at the big picture about the, the direction that the CHO as an organisation and how it stays relevant for its members. We've got our conference coming up, clashes with one of your events, which is uh, unfortunate. So we'll, we'll probably have, have split some organisations between the two of us. And, and I'm looking forward to meeting some of the members that, that I don't know. It's been good engaging and, and re-engaging with, with the board members and also re-engaging with some of the insurers that I used to work with or for in my, my legal days. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the conference. And, and one of the key things that's in my mind is to understand from the people that come along, why do they remain a member of the CHO or indeed if they're not members what 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 could we do differently or 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 what could we reassure them about that would actually say to them yeah you know what actually this organization uh, as a trade body is, is is worth being part of you know if we if we take on board their their comments hopefully we can we can expand the membership and is there a broader call to action across the industry perhaps so, so you know the wider industry is there a, is there a sort of message you would put out further than your kind of potential membership about the credit hire organization at all you mean about the cho as a trade body or or credit hire companies i suppose a little bit of both but probably more 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 cho in your in your uh, current capacity well, the cho as a trade body is, is is here to help so the the idea is that we represent the interests of of our members so you know if you're a if you're a credit hire operator um, and you're having challenges. If we can, we will uh, will help with those. You know, we we don't offer funding and things like that. But you know, if we can point people in the right direction, if we can offer training, if we can offer access to other suppliers, uh, if people want want to know about um, service providers that operate to to support CHOs, those kind of things. Yeah. And in terms of the um, the, the industry, should we say? I think it, even as a defendant lawyer, when I was challenging these cases, I could see that the concept of credit hire was 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 a good one because you know, but back back in the day, it, you know, when I was in my twenties, if you had an accident, you either got a body shop courtesy car if you were lucky, or you basically were on the bus for a few weeks while your car was mended. Yeah, 
Credit hire provided an alternative to that. You know, let's be honest, boy, did the insurers fight hard. Um, Dimond and Lovell and all that, all that good stuff, you know, arguments about the Consumer Credit Act and, and, and what have you. As they saw that it was here to stay, you know, as I mentioned at the, the top of the, um, the discussion, it's now flipped where actually the insurers are saying, well, yeah, they, my, our customers now do support this. And I don't I think it. I think it's fair to say the, the insurers don't want a first party model where they need to own fleets of vehicles. You know, they don't want to load a metal on their balance sheet. So the credit hire organizations are basically an outsourced supplier to the insurance industry these days. And I think one of the problems, and, and it, it's made me smile as I've got back involved, there's still this adversarial element in there. Even though 80% of the work is coming from them and their fellow insurers, there's still this adversarial element. And if we could if we can take some of that away and see see the CHOs as an outsource supplier, there are always outliers. There's always people who try to push the boundaries and, and what have you. And, and they're not members of the GTA because that, that's that's not what it's about. But if we can make the GTA more attractive and get more insurers on board and more CHOs on board, I think that'll be a real success. If we can therefore create a position whereby there are less and less outliers, reduce the friction even further, that works for everybody. The only people it might not work for are the people that facilitate the friction, which, you know, I was one of them years ago. I'm, I'm not trying to do my fellow lawyers out of a job, but, uh, you know, ultimately, if you can get a frictionless position, then I think that would suit all concerned. Truly fabulous insights. Uh, thank you so much, Anthony, for today. And, uh, well, as we always do with these podcasts, we don't let you get away too lightly in terms of let's find a, a little bit out about yourself. So a uh, quick fire question round. Hope you're ready for this. <clears throat> what one thing might not many people know about you? If she hears this, she might kill me, but um, I've saved the best till last. I've been married three times. Okay, moving on swiftly. What would your alter ego be doing as a career right now? Oh, it's a tough one, that. Maybe involved in property. My dad was in construction and uh, a property developer, and I, I always quite liked that idea. But I, I stuck with the law, and uh, and then he uh, he exited. So <laughs> that was that was the end of that. So uh, yeah, maybe get into property. Okay, okay, interesting. Best bit of business advice you've ever heard, seen, or received. When I first became the MD of a law firm, I realised pretty quickly that. I didn't have a Scooby Doo what I was doing. There, there, there I was as a, a technical lawyer, and suddenly I had to run run this business. So I, I went on a, a course with Dale Carnegie, and uh, not him himself, obviously, because he's no longer with us, but uh, with with his organisation. And I remember someone saying at the time that the higher up the tree or the ladder that you go, the more exaggerated your actions are considered and scrutinised, and, and and people sort of. Not hang off your every word, but you, you need to be very careful what you do and say because people will pay real attention to it. And I've, I've tried to remember, remind myself about that uh, as, I've, as I've gone through my career. Very interesting. Very interesting. And whilst we're on the theme of motor, take yourself out of the day job and away from everything that you know as a, as a sort of a member of the public. Self-driving vehicles, should we ever get to that point? Would they be for you? Yes or no? And why? As in for me as a driver. Yes, or passenger, as the case may be. At the moment, as I sit here now, no. And I'll tell you why. I've got a Tesla, and it'll drive itself. And I've tried it, 
twice and it just freaked me out. I just did it on the motorway, you know, as you do, because it can. So I just sort of pulled the lever or whatever you do. Automatic cruise control while I've got all the steering wheel, no problem at all. But the, the idea of this thing driving along itself and then, it, I mean, it almost freaks me out the way it, it reduces the speed as you go around a bend on the motorway sometimes. And it's like, why, why, is, the, why is the car slowing down? I'm not asked it to do that. So it, it actually driving itself along the motorway and the, the idea of me sat there reading a book, I think would just... Maybe my kids will, will adapt to it, but that uh, that freaks me out at the moment. Hey, it looks that way, doesn't it? But um, hey, we shall see, and uh, we'll, we'll see what all of our reactions are uh, when we get to that point. But uh, Anthony, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it, and uh, wish you all the very best with the various tasks you've got going on at the moment. Thanks very much for having me, Mark. I've enjoyed talking to you, so uh, hopefully we can uh, speak to each other again soon. Absolutely. We'll catch up soon. Take care. So there you have it. A huge thank you to Anthony for taking the time to talk to us. I hope you enjoyed the insight into the world of credit hire, an area that can often be taken for granted and or misunderstood. Whichever way you view it, it's a very interesting time for the sector and one that, like many others, is plighted with challenge, but so too great opportunity to advance. Many thanks once again to Anthony and for you at home listening. You've been listening to the ARC360 podcast brought to you in association with corporate partners, Solera Audatex, BASF, BMS, CAPS, Copart, Emacs, Integral, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, Innovation Group, Merca, Nationwide Vehicle Recovery Assistance and S&G Response, as well as our partners Repairify, Indasa and Presco UK. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch up with you all soon.